0: Hi, I'm Timothy Cotin, the co-founder and CEO of Superfluid Labs. We are a data analytics business in Kenya and Ghana that is helping African enterprises to unlock the power of data, business intelligence, and machine learning.
1: Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Timothy. Thank you, Andile. Absolutely. Now, um, I believe you're in Berlin at the moment. Your your schedule's crazy, man. Um, so you, how often are you between Berlin, uh, Nairobi, and Accra?
0: Almost every other month, I'm on the road. So it's quite a hectic schedule. However, this is the life of the entrepreneur. So we are embracing the challenge.
1: And so what sort of advantages does being in those different locations um, so often, what sort of advantages does it give a startup founder like you, do you think?
0: Uh, the first and obvious one is that it exposes you to different perspectives and different dynamics. Uh, so I'm originally from Ghana, born, raised, school there but I've also spent several years working professionally in Kenya and I can speak to those two countries as having a lot of similarities. Uh, however, there are also significant cultural differences, uh, significant differences in terms of adoption of various technologies such as mobile phones and uh, mobile money. Uh, then also, having studied in the UK and now I'm partly based out of Germany, I also see opportunities in Europe to witness and perhaps learn from the evolution of the startup ecosystem here. There are also several institutions or multinationals that may be headquartered in Europe or in the US, but whose primary customer base or key stakeholders are in Africa or other emerging markets. So being here or even having the opportunity to travel back and forth really exposes a startup founder to these different perspectives and the different stakeholders that may be vital to one's success.
1: So aside from the fact that you, you're you born and raised in Ghana and you've got... Um... Uh, you have some experience working in Kenya. What else went into deciding where you would um, basically run you know, or launch your startup on the continent?
0: So I started Superfluid Labs just a little over two years ago in Nairobi, Kenya. And prior to that, I had been working as a research scientist with IBM Research. So, I can attest to the many great things about the technology landscape in Kenya, as well as many positive initiatives by both government as well as private sector actors, and also strong enthusiasm for technology entrepreneurship among the youth. Together, these were the main reasons for starting our business in Kenya, really.
1: Is, was this before, after Solomon Asefa took charge at, uh, at IBM Research Africa?
0: Oh, that was before, but I do know Solomon quite well.
1: Yeah, he's only a prolific researcher and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now he's, he's, a, he's a great, he's a quality individual, I'd say. Was, was Ghana um, a nostalgic play then on your part or was it the, the obvious next place to be?
0: Um, a little bit of both, actually. So it was definitely the obvious next place to be for us. For instance, Ghana, just like Kenya, has one of the highest uh, internet, mobile and smartphone penetration rates in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, There's also a very positive regulatory environment, and the economy is generally stable and peaceful. But then also, for any startup, especially ones operating in the B2B or B2B2C space like we are doing, uh, strong relationships with enterprises is very essential in these early days. Thus, given my ties to both Kenya and Ghana, it made sense to start out here, um, as it was relatively easier to find initial clients, engage with them, and then establish the foundation of our business.
1: I'd say about five years ago, Ghana had this, or, you know, had the makings of being essentially, um, you know, the tech hub of choice in West Africa, and that didn't quite happen for Ghana. Why do you? Th- why do you think that is? Um, that,
0: that's a good question. I, I, I mean,
1: relative to say, you know, the vibe, you know, the vibe that sort of emanates from, say, you know, Nigeria uh-huh, or uh-huh. or Kenya, or and now, you know, you know, Rwanda becoming the toast of the town. Yes, w- whether it's it's deserved or not is another matter, but. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, do you do you, do you get my sense?
0: I, I I understand your question. I don't. I'm not sure. I completely agree with it, though. So yes and no. So 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 no, because I think there's been significant growth in the tech landscape in Ghana. There are several. Set
1: me straight, man. Set me straight. I'm happy to be set sure, straight. There
0: are several sort of businesses that have uh, emerged in Ghana that have attracted um, attention from Silicon Valley investors um, and what have you. But uh, yes, because Nigeria is just a much larger market and it's a much larger proposition for any business. And so uh, depending on the outlook of your business and your vision, if Pan-African play is uh, what you are setting out to do, Nigeria is a very obvious and easy place to set up. I mean, you may start in Ghana initially or you may start in Kenya or even Rwanda but ultimately it makes sense if you if you want to be in Africa and be successful and huge you have to venture into Nigeria at some point
1: i often um i've heard you know in conversation um people who have uh, experience in on on, the, on all these uh, various markets you've described say that you know Nigeria is this very attractive peach for for people who who basically trade on the numbers in terms of sort of extrapolating you know addressable market size and all that kind of thing uh but usually um it it has a very severe way of of cutting people down to size once they realize the the complexities of operating there and uh, we have also you know through experience you know having visited garnet you know i've i've experienced firsthand how you know, so I mean, my question was tongue in cheek earlier, yeah. in in the sense that I mean, I I sense that you you, you know Ghana is being overlooked uh, when when in fact there's there's quite a great deal of promise when you see the the, the sort of uh, progress the likes of Ahsoka Insights have have had, exactly. you know, having started out there, and and I and I'm just realizing, you know, just in terms of the climate, and in in terms of what you've described, in terms of it being. A relatively softer place to land and start to do business and create relationships, relative to say the, the vigorous you know assault on the senses that Nigeria can tend to be, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I mean that in the best possible way. No, you know?
0: that is absolutely right. In fact, I know several not just tech startups but several multinationals that really enter Africa through either Kenya or Ghana, um, land and then expand. So land in a slightly softer. Uh, more conducive environment, if I may say that, or less challenging <laughs> environment, if I may say that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the I mean, let's is, be.
1: I mean, let's. Go ahead. Calling a spade a spade. I mean, it it, it is relatively calmer. The, the the There's as as a Zimbabwean who who loves the fact that I don't need a a, a visa to 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 visit Ghana. I mean, uh, I'd say in West Africa is the one country that, relative to the all all, all the others, um most uh on arrival like gives me a sense of 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 something i've experienced before relative to you know having grown up in zimbabwe etc and that's great to hear and i and i and it's usually think and um it's very it's very rarely said or pointed out you know
0: that's that's awesome i'm glad to hear that and i'm a, no I'm absolutely a of Ghana. absolutely yeah. so i, I absolutely. agree with you it's definitely an under looked overlooked uh opportunity and i'll Definitely encourage more businesses and startups to consider uh, setting up shop in Ghana, as well as investors as well.
1: Yeah, I think the kids say, "Don't sleep on it." <laughs> Don't sleep <laughs> on it, folks. <laughs> exactly. So, so okay. So, um, regulation technology is is where I sense. Um, sl- well, I, it's the sort of bucket in my mind that I, I put your. Your startup in am I correct in 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 categorizing it as a regulation technology business within the sub genre of, of of sort of fintech?
0: Yes, I I think what we we are really it's data analytics. I think that is a, a, a more accurate description of, of what we we do. And regulation technology is one aspect, but there are several other aspects around uh, credit scoring, around uh, business intelligence, around. Uh, product innovation and product recommendation for customers Um, and I'll be happy to uh, give a few examples of some of the sort of clients that we've worked with or projects that we've undertaken to shed more light on this on these points.
1: Let's start with where I was now the reason I'd put you in that bucket is because um, I see as low-hanging fruit your ability to help um, incumbents within the financial services industry, and perhaps in other in other industries as well, but financial services just because it is so sort of um, uh-huh. highly regulated in most markets right um, I, I see the potential for some of your solutions to to speak to the ever changing need for them to keep up with regulatory requirements, legislative changes and and just manage risk in that in that context so Absolutely. give me a sense of how y- your your solutions might help do that, and then and then give me an idea of of how else your your solutions might be applied to to the you know the innovation space the entrepreneurship space within say you know enterprise and, and perhaps other places I haven't I haven't even mentioned
0: uh, so, so so you're absolutely right financial services is actually one of the large and uh, focused industries that we we work in um, there are op- Talk to any banker, any managing uh, director of any bank in Africa, and one of their biggest headaches uh, that causes them little sleep at night is regulation, re- regulation and staying compliant with the regulators. Um, and there are significant opportunities for our technology or our services to help clients address issues around uh, KYC, onboarding customers, uh, thin file customers, and Uh, developing and launching uh, uh, mobile-based digital-only financial service products. Uh,
1: KYC, of course, being Know Your Customer, right?
0: Yes, that's correct. Uh, KYC, Know Your Customer. But then also things around uh, credit assessments, uh, whether that is for banks or even uh, risk assessment for insurance companies in terms of evaluating Uh, the risk of uh, various uh, insurance policies so as to determine the right uh, premium that customer should pay, but also to things such as uh, fraud, detection, anti-money laundering. Um, And the piece that ties all these different threads together is actually machine learning. And this is a big uh, theme for our business. So our business, uh, I can describe in three words, data, machine learning in Africa.
1: So so give me a sense of how this plays out in terms of you know you rolling out solutions within context. So um Bank X um um has identified these pain points that you've you know is obviously suffering the pain points you've described. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do they, how do you go about engaging them to, to relieve them?
0: Sure. So I'll give an example of one client that we recently worked with in East Africa. So this bank was the largest uh, asset finance bank in, in, in Kenya, definitely in Kenya, if not in East Africa. And their traditional business model has largely been around uh, providing asset finance for vehicles, so auto loans, uh, mortgage and other asset classes. However, they have right. realized that with the emergence of uh, some fintech players uh, classified for finding vehicles, uh, sort of e-commerce where individuals can post their their vehicles that they want to sell, others can go and browse vehicles that they want to buy, there's really a, a threat of their traditional business being disrupted. So we engaged with this client and they had a vision of, Uh, transforming their business in in a couple of ways. The first way was, rather than passively sitting and waiting for individuals to walk in and say, hey, I need a loan to buy a car, how could the bank develop a modern platform that allows individuals to browse for vehicles that they want to buy, to compare, to make all that decision-making process, so that at the time that an individual wants a loan, the bank is right there and ready to provide that. At the time that an individual wants a credit facility or insurance, the bank is right there and there's proven intent. So uh, this was the vision that the bank had. And our specific role was to help the bank develop uh, this platform. It's called uh, Karduka in Kenya, kaduka.com mm-hmm. um, And what really made this platform very Impressive was that we built a machine learning engine behind the platform that allows us to precisely determine the value of a vehicle. So, in many African markets, the used car marketplace is uh, relatively better organized. But sorry, the the new car marketplace is relatively better organized. But the used car marketplace, which is a large opportunity, most institutions are afraid to double in that space. And one of the challenges is around uh, having accurate valuation of vehicles, being able to determine the market prices of cars and what have you. And so what our technology was able to do was uh, through a number of partners, we collated large, very large volumes of market prices of vehicles, and we built a machine learning model that allows the bank to now precisely say, uh, for this car that was manufactured uh, it's a Toyota, I don't know, Toyota Camry 2010 uh, from Japan is done, I don't know, 20,000 kilometers in mileage has these extra features. We're able to predict uh, the value of that car to a very high degree of accuracy. And this service is being hmm. offered to end users as well as to the bank. Um, so this is a very specific example of a scenario where uh, we are enabling a large financial institution, or large enterprise, to transform itself and to position itself for the next or the modern era, whereby they can compete with other fintechs who are actually playing in this space.
1: So tell me, you know, talk me through the business development cycle for a deal like that. Um, I mean, I engage with with uh, executives from you know, financial services incumbents from time to time, and yeah I mean the wheels don't turn very fast over there often they do <laughs> and, and I mean I imagine your pitch is as much about sort of educating them or enthusing them of, of the potential as, as much as it is convincing them you're the right person to execute on on an idea So how does this, how do you, how do you get that right?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, yeah you're absolutely right. in the enterprise or b2B space it's, it's, it's uh, it can be quite challenging. Uh, business development cycles can be relatively long, uh, anywhere from, I mean, six months to almost two years. Um,
1: goodness, and, yeah, goodness me! And especially, so do your investors understand that when when you're sort of, uh, you know, raising rounds of investment and 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 sort of. Uh, explaining how long your runway needs to be
0: yes i mean it's a it's a it's obviously a big concern that investors have Uh, however we we have sort of overcome this challenge in a couple of ways so on one hand a lot of our initial clients are clients who recognize the need for innovation and they recognize the potential uh power or the potential transformative influence that data analytics can provide to their business. And for these clients, it's actually been very easy to engage with them. So a couple of the clients we've worked with sought us out actively and said, hey we are trying to do this we are trying to engage data local african data analytics service providers to help us achieve this vision and we came across your organization can you assist, assist us with that and these are the pet- are these
1: incumbents or are these um startups what's, what's what sort of level are we talking enterprise players a combination of both so
0: this first example that i provided around the car marketplace was an incumbent large tier one bank in East Africa, in Kenya. But there's mm-hmm. also uh, several startups that we've engaged with as well. And to confess, the startups tend to be quicker, more nimble. They are very decisive about what they want. So one other client we are currently working with is um, a solar asset finance company, uh, headquartered in the UK, but operational in Africa, in, in East Africa, largely. Uh, selling off-grid solar solutions to uh, various communities. And this is a model that is quite pervasive uh, in Africa and around the world. They approached us saying, we have a problem. Our problem is uh, this business model is great. Um, We're raising investments. Could you develop a model, a machine learning model, that would allow us to do two things? First is to predict which customers are going to default." and what those customers' future payments behavior is going to be. Um, so that for customers that we predict would be bad or would default, we can proactively apply interventions uh, in advance, whether that is calling those customers more regularly, sending someone to visit them, or even sending targeted text messages, which would prompt certain behavior changes from those customers. And what our work uh, so far has shown is that just by merely predicting customer behavior three or six months in advance, uh, this client is able to increase their monthly revenue by 40% without investing in anything else.
1: This almost sounds um, actuarial in nature.
0: It, it is, it is, it is. Um, and, the second, and the second aspect of the problem that he had was once we've uh, we've predicted the future. That is, we we've uh, we can tell what a customer's future behavior is going to be. Can we change the future? Can we apply certain interventions or initiatives that can convert a customer who is predicted to be poor to become a good customer? Can we transform that? And can we retain customers who are good? Um, so it's a very, very exciting problem. But this was the example of a client that knew exactly what they wanted, what their pain point was, and they valued that enough that they were willing to engage with us. And uh, this client has raised over $15 million, um, probably generating several millions in annual revenue. So for such a client, a three-month engagement that is able to increase their monthly revenue by 40% is huge.
1: What is this worth to to clients like this? Is um, uh, I I suppose my question is uh, uh, is the value you provide as a startup b- being adequately um, valued and remunerated? I ask this because I've spoken to quite a number of of uh, players in your space um, who o- often cite the fact that while you know the upside of you know, the upside potential of engaging with with partners like you is huge. There seems to be a, a an unwillingness almost to <laughs> to pay to pay what it's worth.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question, and it's, it's definitely feedback that I've he- I've heard from several other entrepreneurs. I think I think the challenge for uh, a lot of businesses in this space face, and it's definitely one that we are constantly wrestling with as well, is really pricing. Yes. Pricing, I would say that, but I think also articulating the business value of your solution to clients. So I'll go back to this example of the solar client, right? So they engaged us. They had a problem. We built a wonderful model. We showed the predictive power of the model after two months. The clients love the numbers, but they asked this question, what is the cost-benefit analysis of us taking this into production? And so we had to go through an exercise over two, three weeks where we showed, okay, what is your current business practice? How much does it cost you uh, to retain a customer today? Uh, If you have to repossess a bad customer, how much does that cost you? What is the average revenue rate of your best customers versus your average customers versus your poor customers? And then we...
1: Basically, the opportunity cost of not engaging.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, at this point, we had actually already built the model, but we needed to justify them continuing to engage with us. But by being able to quantify what that impact was in monetary terms, which is what a lot of businesses or clients understand, it was very easy to continue the conversation they said how soon can we proceed with phase two um right and but you are, you are upset so too, that's right? your
1: advice perhaps to to um to uh, fellow startup founders in your position who find themselves in that position uh you need to develop the competency to 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 quantify the benefits exactly. of, of, of the solutions you're pitching along and de- while delivering on it and And hopefully you have enough runway to sustain both exercises.
0: Yes, 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 very much so. Uh, Pricing is definitely an interesting one. And I think one of the other challenges is also um, uh, depending on the tier or the level, uh, the maturity of the enterprise you're engaging with. And by this, I just mean, are you engaging with a large regional bank or engaging with A relatively small fintech that is in Nairobi or is in Kigali and is growing. It has a lot of promise in five years, but today they may not be able to to afford your full fees. And so the trick or the, 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 the key thing is developing a business model or a pricing structure that allows you to engage with players while they are small but then scale up with them as they succeed. And so as they become bigger and more successful, you gain more revenue from them. But you're also able to engage with them when they are still small and nimble and, and desperate or hungry themselves for survival.
1: I've wondered, is, is there ever um, an opportunity to, to, to basically negotiate a situation where you benefit from any potential upside? That is, is As part of the model? It's
0: is, 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 is interesting that you asked this question. Just yesterday, I had a conversation with a, uh, a friend slash advisor, and he was telling me uh, that this model has actually been tried by a number of players. So uh, there's one, I don't know if, if you're familiar with Palantir Technologies?
1: No, no, I'm not.
0: Yeah, so Palantir Technologies is this large uh, data analytics business, I mean, valued at over $20 billion dollars. Uh, Mm co-founded by Peter Thiel, uh, the... Founder, one of the co-founders of PayPal. Um,
1: yeah, and they, I'm they, familiar with him. Exactly. They've done a lot of uh, work. Big, for... work, big Donald Trump fan, but that's that's a story for another day, right? That's a story for another day. But anyway, um... yeah,
0: so I mean, what he was telling me was that they've actually had instances where uh, they've this is a former employee there where they engaged with clients and said, "Look, uh, this is the cost of the service that we are delivering to you right now. We are willing to bear this risk, but we see." a 500 million dollar savings for your business if this solution is successful can we have sort of an agreement whereby we will participate in that savings uh, as well so if we are charging you 100 dollars so or 100 million dollars sort of as performance bonus um as part of this solution would that be amenable to you um, and it's obviously a very high risk strategy um, and a lot of enterprises would would not be comfortable with that model, to be honest, because of the uncertainty, because they feel you are sort of participating in their revenue. But also, I I, I believe that uh, for forward thinking, uh, businesses that are willing to to share this risk with you, um, that might be a viable strategy as well. Uh, the way I see it is that there are different roles in a startups. Uh, growth, right? And for depending on the stage that uh, a startup is, there are different skill sets that are needed. So what do I mean by this? Uh, there's the technical individual excellence engineer or business development manager who's perfect for your business when you are a 30-person team or 50-person team. You've proven the model, you build built a solution, and they're just executing. They'll be an excellent early or second wave employee. However, they may not necessarily be the suitable sort of co-founding team that is going to battle um, initially and dealing with all the uh, ups and downs of the entrepreneurial journey. Or they may not necessarily have this uh, ability to sort of sit back and think strategically, sort of see the vision. Um, and 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 uh, so I, I always like to think that uh, for, for businesses like, uh, for technology businesses, there are parallels to uh, Apple, Apple technology. I'll use Apple as an example. So for every Steve Jobs, you need a Tim Cook, uh, who actually is dealing with the meat and potatoes of the business on a day-to-day basis. And then you also need another uh, founder or, or leader who is able to think strategically in terms of what the trends are going to be in the next Twenty or thirty or fifty years, um, and it's not easy to combine those two skill sets.
1: And so, how have you been able to to come right on that in terms of your founding team, and and how big is how big is the team at this point in terms of your your, your company, and and also, yeah. You know, so how how did you come right, and how did you identify what you'd be good at, and and what you, and who you might need to rope in or, or as a co-founder.
0: So we are, we are a relatively small team in spite of all the uh, impressive work we've done in the last couple of years. So we are currently a team of 10. Um, what, what, what I would say is that uh, two, two things. Uh, the first point is I think I've been very fortunate. So my background is in electrical engineering and computer science. Uh, but I also worked in management consulting previously uh, for consulted for many uh, many foundations and businesses. I used to work with Dalberg uh, in Manhattan, as well as in Kenya. And then I also worked in IBM research uh, doing cutting edge sort of technology work. So, so the first part of my answer is I was fortunate to have this blend of very strong technical background and grounding, but as well as experience working in a business context, consulting and all that. But the second point of the answer is, I think, as a founder, as a a leader of a startup, being able to identify and honestly recognize the areas of your strength and being willing to partner with co-founders who complement your skill set. So if you are a very technical founder, finding someone who's more skilled or willing and passionate about the business aspects of, of your work, business development or the operational details of paying taxes, making sure payroll is hap- happening on time, making sure you secure a location for, uh, for, for your staff, for rent and all that. Um, yeah so so those would be the two the two the two uh, answers to this question.
1: And so what do you personally spend most you know most of your time doing at this stage in in your startup? And do you think of yourself as a startup in the classical sort of <laughs> I don't want to say silicon valley sense but in the classical sense in terms of, you know, hockey stick growth and trying to scale quickly, grow fast and and that Good kind question.
0: of thing. So so uh, to your first question, I would say for now I'm splitting my time uh on everything <laughs> sort of the chief everything officer so <laughs> basically splitting time between right. business development <laughs> yes i haven't heard that exactly. one exactly business right. development okay. a bit of hr a bit of making sure current projects are going well a bit of guiding the technology strategy in terms of the vision but i also have sort of able co-founders and, and, and partners who are supporting this. Um, to the second part of your question around, are we the traditional startup? In fact, this is this is a very interesting conversation that I often have with uh, other entrepreneur friends. And and I, what I would say is I, I would describe us as we are, we are business, first and foremost. I don't know whether startup is the right term. We are fast growing business, uh, but we are a business that is bent on lasting 50, 100 years. And what that means is that we are prioritizing being, running a sustainable business. Uh, So, till date, we've actually been completely bootstrapped. Uh, All of our growth has been financed by the work that we've done for clients for which we've been paid. Wow.
1: Yes. Well done.
0: Thank you. Although we are currently raising uh, a seed round, that would really accelerate our growth. However, our thesis is that should we not be able to raise a seed round or should we not be able to get attract that rocket fuel of uh, investor capital? We will still well, I be imagine able to should you not
1: be business. able to attract the people you want to have <laughs> an investor-investee relationship with?
0: Yes. Yes, we should still be able to run a successful business. And uh, even in, the, in Silicon Valley, the number one reason why a lot of businesses fail is running out of money. So sometimes a business succeeds in raising a large seed round or even Series A, they are burning through it like crazy, growing phenomenally, and they are just not able to raise the next round. And everything is curtains at that point. And, and so- Can I just very correct the one, one thing that
1: you said? Um, you Please called so. them business, businesses that run out of money. I think that's a misnomer. <laughs> <laughs> what would you call them? I'd call them- Things that run out of money, <laughs> endeavors, <laughs> yeah. experiments, which 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 is fine, but let's call them what they are. They're not. They're, um, let's not confuse it with business.
0: Exactly. Well, now this is why perhaps myself and a few other people are a bit skeptical of the terminology. Startup? Are you a startup? Are you a business? First and foremost, we're a business that wants to last for a long time. If because of the rate of growth that we are achieving, we are also a startup by Silicon Valley or other standards, that's, 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 that's also fine.
1: I like your answer for two reasons. One, it's unapologetic. Two, it speaks to um, a reality that's not often expounded upon in terms of, uh, you know, we we shouldn't need to feel the pressure um, or, or even the desire to, to, to stand up to things that work elsewhere. This is Africa, right? Exactly. And, and I suppose the other side of it is, you know, I'm not downplaying the, the the effervescent, you know, culture that's that's in, in in Silicon Valley. In fact, I feel as as a continent, we might do well to to start to embrace the idea of spectacular experiments, spectacular failure, and start to embrace those as as part of what growth and success, you know, what breeds growth and what breeds success eventually but i do think it's easy to romanticize that and 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 get lost in th- in the sort of glitz of it all and forget that it's not a point in itself it's not an end in itself
0: i couldn't agree with you more i couldn't agree with you more like, well how do
1: you think about growth in terms of expansion do you think do you, do you think in terms of uh, you know what's sensible to attack geographically uh, do you think of it in terms of white space and 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 how many people are 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 competing for a certain market or a certain genre uh, of business, or do you are you just targeting hubs at this point? In in which case, I don't know. Is South Africa, uh, you know? an obvious next step for you guys. How do you think about growth and where it makes sense to expand to next on the continent?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think this is a combination. It's a combination of uh, one, identifying uh, the the white spaces, the white space opportunity, So markets where... Um, the conditions are right in terms of there's enough pain or there's enough need, there's a gap in the market for your solution. But at the same time, also uh, trying to weigh the risks of, 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 of exploring these markets because the last thing you'd want to do is to uh, naively go into a new market and assume that uh, because there's no service provider offering your solution, it means no one else was smart enough to do it. It's very so how possible. do you gauge?
1: How do you gauge like the pain? How do you gauge the size of the problem the, or the you know the addressable market in your context? How do you do that? Like what what data do you look for? What signals are you do do you have your antennas out for?
0: Yeah, I mean sincerely, nothing beats local knowledge. Nothing beats having someone who's lived in a particular country. So for example, I would not expand our business. Uh, to a country that I am not familiar with or one of our team members is not there or we've not hired sort of a country director who's very familiar with the terrain. And I think it is so vital. And going back to your comment earlier on about, uh, in some ways, it almost seems like uh, Africa is fragmented. And But the, the truth is, Africa is, is not a monotonous entity, which is, unfortunately, I mean, there are thousands of languages, there are different cultures, there are different, different visa requirements. You know, I couldn't just fly to any African country with my Ghanaian passport. Um, so, so those realities really do exist. It's really uh, 53, 56 countries, right? Together in close proximity. Uh, But to your other point, we really see South Africa as a very um, promising next destination for our business, uh, largely because uh, we believe it's one of the markets where, yes, there there are the factors around uh, access to uh, mobile devices, new data being generated. There's a lot of digitalization of various sectors, but also there's a recognition by businesses' Of the value of data, slightly more so in places like South Africa than in other markets, and so uh, our strategy is also to pursue the low-hanging fruits, low-risk, high-reward and, uh, geographies. Um, and there's a there's a quote that I really love uh, from uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. So he said, as a startup, uh, you should think of your job as an entrepreneur with a startup as systematically eliminating all the risks that can cause you to fail. So if the first risk is running out of cash, uh, exhausting your runway, you have to solve that problem first. If the next risk is validating that there's a market for this product, you have to solve that. So consistently identifying the very next existential risk to your business and eliminating that one by one by one, in 5, in 10, in 20 years, you would have a successful business because you've systematically eliminated all the risks in your way. And I really love that, uh, that mm. concept.
1: Wow. Okay. 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 Well, that's quite an idea. I think it's a, as good a place as any to, to, to put this down. Timothy Cotton, thank you so much for your time, man.
0: Thank you so much for having me.